Hello, everybody. This is Bill Knauer, and you're listening to Author to Author, where we talk about writing and life. Because what it takes to write the book you want to write is also what it takes to lead the life you want to lead. These things, they're not so different. They really aren't. Author to Author is brought to you by Author Magazine, the premier free writing magazine on the Internet. We've got great articles on writing and the writing life. I do, I do one a couple times a week. Uh, just about whatever, whatever I want to say about creativity and just the writing life. And we also have uh, great interviews, video interviews with best-selling, award-winning authors across the genre. You've heard me talk about my conver- my most recent conversations with the fabulous David Laskin. What a great guy in his first novel. And Martha Beck, oh, what a conversation we had. Martha and I, that was a lot of fun. You can check all that out. I got a new one coming out next week. I'll be putting it up Monday with Anna Sale, the podcaster who hosts uh, Death, Sex, and Money. I think I'm getting the order correct. A fast, interesting conversation about her book, uh, How to Have Hard Conversations, How to Talk About Hard Things. Anyway, it's a great conversation. Interesting woman. It's going to be up next week and find out about it at authormagazine.org and we're funded by the Pacific Northwest Writers Association supporting writers from pen to publication since 1955 uh, I know I've been saying we were going to have a short conference in June apparently we're not see nobody nobody tells me anything I don't know I thought there was and so I'm sorry if you were looking forward to that but no no we're not doing that but we are having our big conference in uh, September and uh, I hope you know you don't, we're doing it virtual for at least one more year. So this will be virtual and uh, I hope you sign up for it. It's going to be great. It's going to be great. Um, it's going to be, I'm going to be teaching stuff there and uh, I hope to see you. So go check it out at uh, pnwa.org. PNWA. I, I think I mentioned I will be teaching. So I got a book coming out, you know, June 1st. Everyone has what it takes. A writer's guide to the end of self-doubt. June 1st. Yes, indeed. You can pre-order now. Anywhere, anywhere, I think, it seems like, Target, Walmart, Amazon, Barnes & Noble, Powell's, whatever. Pre-order that book or just go to penguin.com, order it there. But, you know, I'm going to be teaching a full – if you happen to be uh, an attendee of the Writer's Digest yearly conference, which may be at New York in uh, July, if, you know, COVID permitting, I don't know how that's going to go. But regardless, even if we have to do it – uh, virtually, I'm going to be teaching an all-day workshop, a pre-conference all-day workshop called Everyone Has What It Takes about dealing with the self-doubt of the writer. Yes, it's worthy of a whole day. Yes, indeed it is. So whether I see there and, oh, I will be doing a book launch. You know, I'm going to be doing a book launch on June 3rd now, and it's going to be a Zoom launch. So everyone's invited. Everyone can come to the book launch. That's right. Everybody. It's a free event. So I'll tell you more about that as the date approaches. Okay, books, books, books. Today's, oh, she's a first-time author, I believe. I'm going to double-check that, but I believe this is her first book, Rebecca Modrak. Rebecca is a writer and interventionist artist whose artwork resists consumer culture. Uh, her website, remadecompany.org, or remadeco.org, poses as an online company to recreate actual company Best Made Co. by promoting things like artisanal toilet plungers. Rethink Shinola, another of her websites, 
guide you through the Shinola Company's past and present of marketing white supremacy. Uh, Hyper Allergic Core 77, The Creators Project, Detroit Metro Times, and Design Observer, and other publications have written about her work. A professor in the Stamps School of Art and Design at the University of Michigan, she is the co-editor of the recently released Radical Humility Essays on Ordinary Acts, and she is with me today. Yes, she is. Rebecca, how you doing? Good. Thank you, Bill. All right. So, Rebecca, you know, uh, I was interested in this uh, book of yours, in part, in part, because, you know, uh, at the end of this, of every conversation I have with authors, I ask the same question. I will ask it of you in all likelihood. And it's this. It's what is writing to If writing's taught you anything, it's taught you what? And one of the frequent responses, Rebecca, is humility. That's one of the things that writing teaches a lot of people. What do you think of that? Let's just start there. Um, yeah, I could understand that. I, I think you have to be okay with failure to some degree. <laughs> oh, yeah, yes. <laughs> Most definitely. Most definitely. Okay. Uh, Rebecca, you're an artist, so you're a visual artist first. Is that, do you describe yourself that way? Uh, yes. I, I yeah. am. And so, I am, but I, you know, I'm a research-based artist. It's sort of like a new way of describing a particular oh. kind of art practice, where, yeah, um, you know, I spend a lot of time researching and, um, you know, trying to understand the particular topic um, as I'm making visual work about it, and so <laughs> it involves a lot of reading. And I think I think writing in many ways grew out of that practice. I see. Interesting. Okay, so let's back up. Uh, you um, you describe your childhood a little bit, just a little bit in in the book. You have an essay in the book, um, which is a collection of essays by a wide variety of people. Um, and it was a you it were humble beginnings. It sounds like uh, at first is that is that a fair description? Uh, yeah, it is. Um, we, I mean, I I you know positions were not like a huge part of my growing up. We. Yeah. You know, had had what we needed, and and I'm feel pretty lucky. My dad. So my my dad had a really interesting background. He um, went to college, was able to go to college, um, but then he became very politically active in a lot of those student groups in the 1960s, mm-hmm. and yeah. he got kicked out of graduate school. Huh. Um, and he and he and my mom sort of had to flee. Um, Florida in the middle of the night wow. Um, wow. and with, when she was pregnant. And so, you oh. know, I think he had trouble finding a job for a while. Um, yeah. And so, yeah, so there was a kind of like rough start, but a, a good start in many ways. And, um, and that my, my childhood was, came out of that. So, so your parents were politically, I mean, they started, they were very politically at one point. Did they remain that way? Um, yeah, mostly my dad, but yeah, um, I mean they're very they're very involved in politics. My mom, my mom, um, you know, loves MSNBC and she's she's on top of everything. Um, so yeah, they're they're pretty they're pretty active politically. Well, that must have been a rough four years for them. That must have been like it was for many of us. Um, yeah, I think it was uh, a right, relief. So- it, it was it was a relief. Okay, but so you're raising that, and so they always. I'm, the reason I ask is I, I always find the the journey of the artist, whatever kind of artist they are, is always so different. And most artists, be they writers or musicians or whatever, do not come from family of artists. Although I will say, I do think the 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 um, 
the 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 person who's po- the sort of uh, politically active, the rebel, I guess, for, is is not is, is a pretty good kind of cousin of the artist in a way. Does that make sense? Completely, yes. Yeah. yeah my my dad was really a question asker, so I and I think that's yeah. at the root of of um, being an artist. Did he ask you questions? Oh yeah, all the time he would ask. Yeah. You know, what do you care about? What are you interested in? What do you think of this? Um, did you like yeah. those questions? Or did I you loved like, them. You yeah, did. I, they might have made me a little self-conscious at times, but um, yeah. no, I loved, I loved, you know, I loved being asked them. Yeah, yeah, and even if you didn't have an answer, or did you always have an answer? I, I didn't. Um, yeah, I didn't always have an answer, and um, it's okay. You know, I'm sort of. It takes me a while to process things, even now. So, yeah. um, which is also something I love about writing is that, you know, it takes a while to, to both figure out what I'm interested in and what I care about and right. understand that idea. And then once I kind of start to understand it, it, then it takes a while to articulate it through language. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so when did you know you were interested? Like, when did you think you were, you were going to be drawn into the arts? What, when, when did that start, like, waking up for you? Yeah. Yeah, pretty immediately in life, which yeah. is funny because I now tell students not to make choices too early. <laughs> but um, no, I, I, you know, I, I love, you know, back then it was more traditional arts, uh, drawing, right. painting, ceramics, and but I, yeah, I just liked the idea that you could explore something without it having to, you know, mean something or be something or have a use in the world. Right. Um, and so. Well, hey, hey. It has a use in the world. I gotta tell you, I, you know what? This is this is true. Sometimes when I, t- I teach writers, and one of the things they sometimes have problems with is is the com- the commerce end of it. That that they yeah. feel like maybe they're prostituting themselves or something. And what I always say for myself is, I think back to when I was a kid, and I think back to when I loved music. I loved it, loved it. And if I had ten bucks and I could buy an album I knew I loved, I felt like I was so getting the better of the deal. Because that thing would bring me pleasure whenever I stuck it on the turntable. I felt like, what a win for me that I got this beautiful thing that could make me happier. And there's nothing I ever wanted in the world but to be happier. Does that, does that make sense? Sure. Uh-huh. Isn't yeah, that useful? Beautiful. Yeah. I, you know, I think what I mean by something not useful is that there's just room to explore without feeling like it has to fit in to, you know, the ways that we understand the world, like it'll, you know, show up in a particular use as defined by commerce or... Right. Um, yeah. Right. Just just to explore the world and try to understand it a little better, maybe. Right, exactly. Yeah. And so, okay, so you're an artist and, you're, uh, and you go into academia. You, you, did you go into that relatively soon after graduating or was that a, a sideways journey? How did you end up at the University of Michigan? Um, well, yes. Yeah, so I taught. I after graduate school, I went to. Um, I taught at Ohio State for seven years, and I oh, taught okay. mostly mostly photography there, okay. um, or photo based practices, um, kind of experimental photography or conceptual. And um, and then Michigan had at the time this amazing foundations program, or you know the whole program was interdisciplinary. So um, we don't. You can't major in an area. You build your own. You build your own major in a sense oh. through combining oh. different classes together. Yeah, so yeah. it's more it's more rep- like indicative of how artists actually practice in the world. You know, like sure. one, one idea you have, you want to paint. Another idea, you want to do something on the internet, 
Um, right. And so that's yeah. So I was intrigued by that. All right. So you said so you went over there and you started teaching. And did you like teaching? I mean, it's a it's a living. But did you actually enjoy the experience of teaching? I do. Yeah. I, yeah. It keeps me on my toes. You know, every student is of course an individual, and they have you know like curiosities that are particular to them and you know figuring out what they care about i mean it's similar to what what you do right here on the podcast with each interview it's just an each moment with a student is an opportunity to understand this kind of world in front of you and um you know try to help them make sense of their own world yeah and and of course at that age they're really i mean we spend a long time figuring out who we are and maybe forever you know but but right. they really are then, right? I mean, that, that feels like you're just coming out of the cocoon of childhood and, you know, teenagehood, and you're like, what do I want to do? You're actually staring at, like, a life at that point. It's starting to consider yeah. it. And that seems like it would be very, I don't know, that would that would bring up a lot, I would think, does it? Yeah, oh, yeah. I, um, I think it's a time when, right, hopefully mo- many students, you know, really, like, um, you know, make work that is more personal and that does, you know, reflect upon who, what their values are and who their identity is. Yeah. And so, yeah, so we have opportunity to be part of that. That's nice. But, but, but there was some change in uh, the changing of the guard of some kind at Michigan, and uh, it did not please you, and you felt things were just getting a little too, um, oh, I don't know, they wanted you to be, they wanted. They, I think you described it as you wanted to be visible. What was it? What was the word? I'm sorry. I'm trying. I... Yeah, there's an emphasis on visibility. There, a lot visibility. of emphasis on self-promotion yes. and yes. Um, uh, you know caring yeah. about status and status-seeking rather than substance and meaning. Right. And this, you were not jibing on this, and so you picked up your family, <laughs> and you did what anybody would do. You went to Aurora, Nebraska, and. Um, and you moved there, and you got like a. It, it was like a. Uh, well, you you tell the story. You went there. You got a. Was it was it a residency? What happened? There? Right. Yeah, it's an artist. There's an amazing artist residency called Art Farm. Um, it's in Marquette, Nebraska, which is oh, Marquette. Like an okay. even tinier town than Aurora, Nebraska. <laughs> okay. And um, one, well, I think it has a bank and and a and a bar. Okay. Um, and so so it, <laughs> all the essentials. Um, yeah, right, the two essentials. Um, and, like, fried cauliflower and uh, video uh, games. Yeah. Um, and so this, this, you know, Ed, who used to be, his family was, you know, were farmers, and he has this amazing property, um, and he he's incredible. He can fix anything. So he started uh, collecting barns, and he, he would haul all of these old barns that, you know, people were going to tear down, onto his property and so there's this collection of of different like strange sort of Edward Scissorhand like buildings you know Weird. the building that we stayed in was a giant um barn with a with a um silo on top of it and we slept yeah. in the silo so we, wow. yeah we got to stay yeah. there for two summers um in wow. this, at this residency program and so your whole family's there and that's when you sort of started noticing or started thinking about humility uh because you felt it was a humble group of people there. So talk to me about how this new thought about humility developed in you. Where did it come okay. from? And, you know, I should mention though that um, Art Farm has, not only do they bring visual artists, but they also bring writers for the residency. Oh. So hey, if any, yeah, if any of your listeners are interested, it's a great place for writing. Okay. But so, 
So I went there to interview farmers. I was interviewing people who work with their hands for a living to understand um, what the impact of manual labor was, which was related to the plunger project that you described. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And as I was interviewing, people kept saying to me, like, oh, you should interview Ned. Um, Ned's like the best farmer around. And after the third person had said this, um, I finally like, you know, kind of a clicked the idea in my head to ask, like, well, why Ned? And right. I was thinking they would say something, you know, about how he tilled the land or, you know, what he knew about pest control. But instead they said, um, well, he's really humble. Yeah. And that was not what I was expecting, um, both because humility isn't a value that I associate with the culture um, back here at the university, Right. Um, not not a culture I was associating with like national politics then. You know that right. anybody really talked about it seemed pretty antiquated. And yeah. um, but it was also something I was seeing in our daily lives in Aurora, Nebraska. Um, just the way people lived, the way they the way they conducted themselves, the way they presented themselves, even even like the consumer experiences. Um, you know, were filled with humility. Yeah, and so. What, and so, and so, so, so something, but so, so it got your attention for some reason. I mean, because here's the thing, Rebecca, it didn't have to get your attention. You know, it had to be something about it that lit up to you. Like, what was your relationship to that word? I mean, there's, you talk about Michigan and, and um, politics, but there's just your life. Like, what was your relationship to the concept of humility prior to that? Um. Well, I, you know, I think it wasn't so much my relationship to humility that was what got my attention. It was sort of more my relationship to arrogance and um, sort of like feeling of being surrounded by um, a lot of arrogance of like people who were unable to apologize or unable to have empathy for <laughs> others. And um, What's wrong with that? <laughs> so, all right. So you're sur- this was in the academia in particular, did you feel? It was, it was in, yeah, mostly in academia, but, you know, also okay. some of the things we're starting to see nationally. But, sure. um, but yeah, definitely more in academia. There are some really kind of disturbing behaviors that I was, I was, you know, subjected to. Okay. Did you feel, now don't take this wrong, Rebecca, did you feel like maybe <laughs> you were a little arrogant at all? Did you ever worry that you were like that? Or was this something I, you most know, of you ex- experienced in yeah. others? Well, where I worried about it with me was, so, you know, as, as you mentioned, when I was growing up, we didn't have disposable income when I was in Pittsburgh. Right. But, right. Um, but, you know, now, and I didn't for a long time. I mean, I had like a $80,000 graduate loan to pay off, um, nice. you know, which took pretty long. <laughs> for, for the artist, perfect. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, I had paid that off, and I was, we oh. were starting to have a kind of like disposable income, and we live, right. we live in a place that's increasingly affluent and you know all most of the grocery stores around us you know they kind of cater to this affluent consumer so i mentioned in the essay you know when you walk into the aisle there's an entire aisle of like crackers of every possible (laughs) hundreds of different crackers so there's a sense of of like you know you know we need to really cater to you and how like you know, special things need to be for you because you're such an important person. And I, mm-hmm. I think that's where I was starting to get a little bit, like, concerned for myself, that I was becoming uh, slightly absorbed into that culture. Yeah, yeah. And so, and so now, 
you made an interesting choice. You could have written a book on humility. You could have written a long. You could have written. Oh, a, I couldn't yeah. have. No, well, not at I mean, all. Theoretically, you could have, but you didn't. You said, "I'm gonna, <laughs> I'm gonna go out and find my friends and people I am interested in and get. I don't know. Actually, I, don't, I have no idea if these were your friends or not. But you got a <laughs> bunch of people to each write about humility in a different way. So talk to me about that. What was that? What was that like? And also the choice to do it in that way. Yeah, and I still, you know, I still don't feel like I know very much about humility, even after really? you know, three years of this project. Really? Yeah, I feel, okay. I feel well, like very I can. Of you. No, no, not at all. I, you know, I feel like I can refer to what I've learned from other people, but okay. um, I think that's where, in some ways, like my art background comes in because I often, in my work, practice more as a curator, so like mm-hmm. somewhere between a curator and an artist, and I, right. you know, I think I'm pretty good at saying like, okay, let's, you know, like I I'm just want to be around humility and I want to understand what other people know about it and what they've experienced. And right. like where where could I look in order to do that and which types of people, you know, should I talk with? And, and then I right. kind of start like collecting people in the sense, you know, that you might collect artworks or collect stamps or other sorts of things. And I, you know, for me, writing this book with Jamie was kind of the process of, building this collection of experiences um and she's coming from um she's a librarian okay so she's really good at lateral thinking you know when you go into the library and you say like oh i i loved this particular science fiction book and then the librarian you know has the kind of presence of mind to say oh well i think you'll like this cookbook (laughs) or something you hadn't even considered and jamie's really good at that so um, I think that's how the two of us approach this book, not as that we're experts in the subject at all, but that we're sort of guides through the subject. Right. And, but did, did Jamie, I, I, I know you led off with yours. Did Jamie um, contribute an essay also? She did, yes. Yeah, she wrote a beautiful essay about um, libraries well, are for libraries you. Libraries for you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's right. That's right. I forgot. Um, and so talk to me about, like, why did you team up with her? Like, how did that happen? What was that conversation like? How did this come to be in that way? Yeah, so that that came about in a sort of positive way from the university. We had these grants at the time. Um, it was sort of like playing a game. You 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 had to put together like three tokens or four tokens to get a grant, and the uh-huh. tokens had to be from different schools. Um, I guess it's the university's idea of like how do you how you play a game. But uh-huh. so so I thought like well. You know, in order to in order to build, you know, a project or to bring people together to talk about humility, how could I how could I start with at least like three tokens initially in order to right. get grant money? And so I thought, well, I thought Jamie might be interested because she does have this kind of way of thinking across subjects and topics. And right. so I reached out to her, and she was interested because um, she had a baby at the time, mm-hmm. and she had taken the baby into daycare and they had her fill out this long questionnaire saying like what are the the baby's needs and interests and she, she was a little taken aback by that because she thought well shouldn't this baby learn to be part of your community and become like a flexible versatile you know human rather also, than what the is baby? a baby interested in besides just <laughs> I mean, i've had babies and my memory is it takes a little while before they start developing a, anyway, okay, so they had it. All right, so she filled this out and she didn't like it. Yeah, I'm sorry, okay. say that again, though. I said she filled this thing out, but she did not she enjoy it. She filled out the questionnaire. 
yeah. Exactly. Okay. She was really yeah. troubled, and she thought, okay, you know, what what sort of am I in for um, as a right. parent, and what do I need to know about humility to raise this child? And so she said, I'm in on this project. Um, and then we reached out to two other people, to a philosopher and to a um, consumer culture scholar who studied pride and the, the history of pride. And the four of us would get together every week, and we would try to imagine, like, like who, could we, who could we bring together to have these conversations about humility initially? Uh-huh. And um, that's how the book grew. That is fascinating. And, and did you, and when, as the, as the essays began to roll into you, as you sort of commissioned these, I guess, in a way. Now, did you read them, and did you ever send them back saying you need to you got to go back this this last paragraph? Did you do any of that sort of thing, or was it just oh, thank God. you? And how did that work? It did, but you know, so we we brought everyone together for two days before we even you know entered into the book. We we had this gathering. Um, everybody, everybody yeah. in this book, you got them all together. Wow, okay. um, everybody except for one. Two people in the book came together um, at wow. this time. Yeah, and more people also who aren't in the book. Um, okay. And we, we had a series for two days of like either any, anywhere from 10 minutes to you know, 15 to 30-minute presentations where each person would get up and talk about humility from their perspective, whether it was farming or philosophy or psychology or law, the law or medicine um, or storytelling and um, and it was such a beautiful two days, and we, I, you know, we all left it feeling like, I don't know, we had this kind of amazing journey, um, but right. also like a sense of feeling very grounded, um, that which I hadn't felt in a long time. And from right. there, you know, we kind of, you know, invited some of those people to write essays, and those essays became the book. That is awesome, and you were able to sell the book. Not to make, but that is a thing. You know, I know selling books, not so easy, but you were able to find a publisher for it. Yeah, yeah, that was a long process. Um, yeah, yeah. Yeah, we tried, <laughs> we tried going the route of an agent at first, yeah. and there was a lot of emphasis on, you know, there was like, oh, well, you need celeb- celebrities to write about yeah. humility. Yeah. yeah, and it was just taking us down a path we weren't. I mean, we, we wanted people to write who, you know, had had sort of very, like, tangible like relatable lived experiences um yeah. and so yeah so it was a it was a long process finding the right publisher for us yeah well congratulations was it what it, were you happy with the first of all so it's been out since march have you as it i mean obviously it's published publishing in the time of covid is what it is but we've all been working with it and yeah. uh, has it op- opened up opportunities for you to have conversations with people post-publication that has been enjoyable? Yeah. Um, it's, I mean, I, I find it's easier to be connected to people now. We're all used to Zoom. Um, yeah. You know, the nice thing about this book is there are, like, 20 people to um, to invite. For example, we, we had a great book launch at Literati Bookstore, and five of the contributors came and spoke. And nice. um, in early May, we're having another one at Conio's Bookstore in Sag Harbor, New York, and you know, mm-hmm. a different five are going to speak, read at that. So, yeah, it just feels like very easy to bring us all together to have these kind of, you know, smaller, smaller readings. Do you think you will continue to do work around the concept of humility? Do you think this is a has some legs to it, or is this is one thing and now you're going to move on to a different thing? Yeah, you know, I I think that I tend to think that the things you work on in your life are 
all interconnected, you know, for mm-hmm. each individual because those are your interests. And I, you know, what I've, I mean, I, this isn't coincidental, but, you know, when I look back at the work I did before this project where I wasn't using the word humility, I can uh-huh. see how relevant humility was to all of the work that I was doing. Um, just not articulated in that way. So I don't know. My my tendency is to think that people kind of, kind of like you know, work within a pretty small sphere. Um, I mean, a deep sphere, like you know, in the same way that like a tracker can stare at an inch of land for you know three hours and you know find a lot of meaning in it. Right. Um, right. Yeah. So I yeah I, I can't see how it's not going to relate. Yeah. Yeah. I think I think you can experience some sort of success for lack of a better word without humility i think it'll get i think it'll get in your way but i think if you can have humility it makes it way easier way easier uh i can say that from my own experience so all right as i promised uh there's a question that comes at the end of these conversations and it's time for that question right now rebecca and so what i want you to do is finish the sentence if writing all the writing you've done in your life journals i don't care what any writing all the writing you've done has taught you anything. It's taught you what? Oh, um, it, it's taught me. Oh, well, it's taught me so many things. It's hard to pin down. I, so I'm going to speak to the process of writing rather than the subject okay. of the writing. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, and I would say that you just start somewhere. Um, that you know, I, I, um, I mean, I. So I wrote this book, but I wrote another book before where I was the lead author on that uh-huh. book and it was a huge book about photography and photo theory and um so i I've, you know i'm used to writing at this point but even right. still if i haven't written for a few months um when i sit down to write you know it, in some ways it's it's working all those muscles again and yeah. i just you know i just have learned not to not to have any anxiety over over those feelings initially just to sit down and start writing and you know trust that it works itself out yeah, yeah. Well, I'll tell you what, Rebecca, that is a huge lesson. Uh, and as someone who teaches writers about the emotional challenges of writing, that's one I have been. You, 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 you found that one all on your own. It sounds like, and that is one that a lot of people spend a lot of time trying to find. So, uh, it, I, it's probably hard for you to appreciate how important that is, but it's critical. It's critical that you're able to do that. So good for you. Good for you, Rebecca. Uh, listen, congratulations on the book. Uh, I think it's just wonderful, and it's, it sounds like you're very connected to it. And, uh, hey, good luck if there's a, another one coming. Okay. Uh, Thank you so keeping much. Keeping your eyes out I'm for talking it. with you. Okay, Rebecca, take it easy. All right. Thanks. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. You know, she's right, people. She's right. Just start somewhere. Just start your subconscious, your muse, whatever you want to call it. It will guide you. It knows more than you. It does. It really does. It is wiser than you are. The story you want to tell knows more than you. All right. Hey, that was fun. It was so much fun. I'm going to do it again next week. That's right. I want to thank my producer, RJ Jeffries. Awesome as always. And uh, to all of you out there, uh, you know what? Go find something you love to do and then do it. (laughs) 